today we come across a list of a whole bunch of things that I'm going to basically go out on a limb and say, we're all going to be repenting today. There'll be something in this list that you'll find yourself thinking, oh, yep, okay, that's a big one for me. And so we're kicking off the book of Titus today. So open up the book of Titus. And if we could just have someone read the first nine verses, that'd be fantastic. So what do you reckon? Tick, 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 tick. All good? No worries. So here we are looking at Titus. It's a letter. Now, so some of you guys, have, you know all about this letter. How are you going, Chrissy? Um, some of you guys know all about Titus. Some of you are new to this. The Bible's full of different types of books. This is a letter. And we find out really early at the beginning of the letter who wrote it and who it's written to. Have a look at it with me. Verse 1, it's written by Paul, a servant of God. This is Paul the Apostle, um, the one who had a radical conversion on the road to Damascus. The risen Jesus um, lays him out and um, turns him around, and here's, here's Paul the Apostle now, and he's writing a letter to a fellow named Titus. That's why the book's called Titus. You see his name pop up in verse 4. Can you see that? To Titus. And look at what Paul calls Titus. He says, To Titus, my true son in our common faith. There's this relationship between Paul, the writer of this letter, and Titus, the guy who gets the letter, that's like spiritual father, spiritual son kind of relationship. And here is what we see in a lot of the New Testament in regards to the relationships that are meant to be happening in the church. They're actually meant, like, the relationships are meant to actually replicate what happens in the home. Fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, brothers, sisters. And that is because the church is not just like any other community group. It's not just another bunch of people with a common interest. The church is something particular. It is a family. Have a look at verse 7, the language that you get there. Since an overseer manages, what does it say? God's household. Are you with me in verse 7? God's household. Okay, so, so you're, all, you're all in a blood household in some sense. But right now, right now you've been drawn in by Christ into God's household and there's these relationships that we are meant to be having among each other which can be like father, son, older brother, younger brother, sister, that, that are actually meant to be very real and deep and which tells me right up front that while we can be tempted to just dabble with church, and keep church kind of on the periphery of your life and maybe get there when you can, all the, new te- all the language in the New Testament tells us, no, this is big. It's a household, and it's not any old household. It's God's household, and, and that's going imp- to... When, when you catch a sense of what's actually going on here, though, though sometimes we wobble and sometimes church is weird and you know, all of us are a little bit dysfunctional, what, what this actually is is God's household, and that's huge. And that's going to actually, as that sinks in for all of us and it develops in our hearts, that's going to mean we give effort and we give investment and we actually give genuine um, attempts to actually raise up those who are younger than us in the faith. And it's going to mean we're left with like responsibility and things like that because it's a household and there's responsibility in a household. Titus certainly had some responsibility here as Paul writes this letter to him and I just realised I'm speaking really fast and really loud. I'll slow it down a little bit. Look at verse 5. Paul says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you to. So Titus, a young Christian leader, is left or assigned to do this job in Crete, which is one of the Mediterranean or Greek islands. Um, And Paul leaves him there with a very specific job. And his job is really to shape up a young and underdeveloped church. And he leaves Titus there to do it. 
So really, this is a letter about how to set up and develop a healthy church. So this is going to be a really relevant letter to us, yes? This is the exact season we're in. Here we are together attempting under God to set up and develop a healthy church. A healthy church where people learn to really love God and we learn to really love and care for each other and we learn to really effectively hold out the gospel of Jesus that brings so much joy in hearts. That's, that's the church we are. It, it's developed in a sense but it's still developing and you, you actually see some evidence throughout the book of Titus of things we'll need to put in place. How do you develop a healthy church? Well, there's a bunch of key things in this book and the one thing we're going to focus in on tonight, today, is what you get here in this passage, which is appoint leaders, appoint elders. And these leaders or elders need to have a certain character and quality and competency. It's basically a list of qualifications that you need to see in a person, in a man particularly here, before you put him in a position of leadership in the church. This list of qualifications means that who, what it means is whoever we have leading in this church as we put people in places of leadership will actually shape what this church becomes. And I think sometimes reading a list like this you can find yourself thinking, oh, I'll be right, thanks. Yeah, not me. This sounds weighty. Um, I'm not sure that I want that weight or that responsibility. And, and really, you might be at a place where you're feeling really limited at the moment and it might be not the right time to take on certain leadership positions, which is fine. Um, but really, there's a sense in which we all need to work at aspiring towards becoming this and growing in this direction. Um, in larger churches, where there's a lot more people, there's a lot more people to pick from to put in leadership. And so you really have a luxury, in a sense, to kind of say, okay, well, let's, let's put that person here. In this. But in a smaller church, the, the reality of this season of life is it's just us, all right? Um, and so you work with who you've got, and we are who we've got. And so together, we all work at actually growing up in our faith and stepping up to actually lead or hold positions of service in the church as we're able it's just us. And so we do what we can do. Um, so we, looking at this list here, um, strictly speaking, it's, it's the kind of qualifications you need to see in male teaching elders in the church. That's, that's what Titus is being asked to set aside. Those who teach and lead in the church, male, right? Um, but if you think about it for a minute, why is it that the male teaching elders need to live like this or be like this? Like, are they the only ones who are meant to live with these kind of qualities and characters? No, no. They're meant to lead the whole church to be like this and live like this. So really, this is for us all. Like, the principle behind each of these qualifications is for every single one of us. And, and really, the case is the way you live and believe and behave in this early season, you, you are leading the way all of us live as individuals and together will actually shape what Anchor Church becomes. So really this list of qualifications I want to kind of put to you today, though it is specific, I want to make it general and I want to put it to you all and I want you to all think into these things because we need to think of them, into them together. Are you with me? It's a list for us all to aspire to. Now, I'm going to ask you a question and I want to hear an answer. Um, what is the danger for us to look at a list like this and start thinking, right, 
these are all the things I've got to do and these are all the things I've got to be. Right up front, what is the danger in us digging into a list like this? What can happen for us? It's how we earn our righteousness. Is that what you're going to say, Lizzie? Yeah. That's right. That's right. So the journey that you can begin by grace and understand, wow, this is all God's mercy towards me, somehow can creep. And we looked at it last week, didn't we? The concept of being spiritually entitled, where you can find yourself like feeling like a bit of that older brother figure in the parable. And you start thinking, I'm, I'm getting this Christianity thing down pat. I can start ticking boxes. And you, you creep in your mind and your heart towards thinking you're earning it now. And by your own performance, you now have God's favour and you're deserving somehow of God's mercy and forgiveness, which is just ridiculous that that happens. But it happens to us all. And this is the danger of a list like this. So right up front, let's acknowledge the danger. Please do not go through this list with me today and just go, okay, all right, I've got to do all those things. I've got to strive to be all those things and then I can be helpful in the church and then... I will have God's favour. Just don't do that. Just don't do that. So let's just be aware of the dangers we dig in. And one of the ways I want to be really aware of the danger is I just want to pick the final thing on the list and talk about that first because that's about the gospel of grace that we're meant to be hanging on to. You got me? So have a look at the final thing first. And the final thing, you see it down there in verse 9. Here's the first thing I want to talk about. Um, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message. So here here is the final qualification. I'm going to bring it right up front because it's got to be the first and foremost and it's going to help us avoid the danger. You, You must be, we must be people who have a firm grip on the message. Message being the gospel, the the good news of Jesus, the the news that actually our God is a God who saves sinners like you and I. And it's and it's nothing but his grace that saves us. To be useful in the church in a long-term, helpful way is that you hang tightly, you grip tight to the gospel of grace and you never forget it and you keep celebrating it and that's where the joy comes from and that's where your desire to serve comes from. It's that you're hanging on to the gospel of grace. And you know, the book of Titus gives us a couple of cracking little verses that summarise the gospel of grace. It's beautiful. I'm not sure if you've read through the whole book already this week, but um, there's a couple of verses here that are your classic ones you chuck on a Facebook post or on a picture on the wall or whatever. Um, have you come across any of them just yet? Have a look at chapter 2. Just flick with me, there with me for a minute. Um, have a look at chapter 2, verse... Oh, look at verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of and the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, here's the thing, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. So there's the gospel, guys. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from wickedness. Here's how you become a Christian. You get redeemed which means you get purchased from being in a place where you're a slave to sin. Um, you get redeemed and you get bought into the kingdom of the Son by grace. There's the gospel for you. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 4. And here's, here's the gospel for us. And actually, I think it's this one, Dave, you're preaching. Or is it, no, it's chapter 2 you're doing. I got that one. All right, you'll get more on that in a few weeks' time. But look at chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Saviour, that's Jesus, appeared, he saved us. 
not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. You got that? Let's just keep camping out on that one for a while. And if this is all you get tonight, that's better than anything else. Here's the gospel. He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. The only reason you're forgiven or saved is because God is merciful. Not because you were performing in the kind of way that caught his attention and left him feeling like, you know, they would be great on my team. How about I go and get them? That would be really awesome for me and my name. No, it's nothing but his mercy to come and grab a grubby sinner like yourself and forgive you and then live in you by his Holy Spirit so you actually start to be transformed and conformed in the likeness of Jesus. This is the gospel, and this is the message that you and I are to hold firmly to. It's a matter of first importance, and if you're going to be any use to the church, the household of God, it's because you're clinging to this one, the gospel of grace. All right? So please, as we work through the rest of this list, don't think anything else is going to give you favour. You've got favour with God now in Christ as you have been now clothed in his righteousness because he's merciful. How good's that? Okay, so there's your first one. Um, let, let's, let's work through the list. The first thing you come across when you get to the list, so flick back to chapter 1 with me if you've moved there, um, is in verse 6, you get a bit of like of a title word or a, a banner word that goes over this whole list and it's a bit of a frightening word. Look at verse 6. An elder must be blameless. Stop there for a minute blameless and it actually comes up later on down there in verse 7 it repeats it twice this is like the banner over everything if you want to step up and lead in church and be helpful to the church here's the first thing just be blameless <laughs> that's just intimidating isn't it who, who gets to lead in church if you've got to be blameless so here's the deal though it doesn't mean perfect blameless really means like it talks about in 1 timothy is that you're someone who's above reproach which still doesn't mean you're someone who's never done anything wrong, but it does mean this, that there are no valid grounds for big, serious accusations against you, either in your home or in public or in church. And when I'm talking big, serious allegations, you'll see when we work through this list, it's stuff like if, if, if you've actually, you, you've, you, uh, we'll get to them. So we're talking big, serious allegations, okay? Now, all of us have done many dumb things. Some of you have done seriously big things. Now, there's grace and there's healing and there's always scope and room for development and movement. And, and, but here's, here's what we're looking at here. When it talks about blameless, really what it wants us to understand is that there's three areas of your life. I just mentioned them, home, public and church. And the concept is that there needs to be no massive big accusation hanging over you in any of those realms that's actually going to disqualify you um which which so these three realms are just kind of the point is a life of integrity across all of your life not just coming here among church and being on show and making yourself out to be someone who's a certain way when really at home you're the opposite or at work or in public you're the opposite it's a life of integrity, and so these kind of qualifications stretch across all of that. We're going to break it up into those three areas. Here's the first one, who you are at home. And I'll tell you what, who you are at home, is, it's, it's kind of frightening to examine because 
you're probably your worst at home, I think, because you're really who you are. And who's in your household sees what you're really like. So here's, let's, let's work through this. Um, verse 7, um, or verse 6, an elder must be blameless, um, faithful to his wife. We'll just stop there for a minute. Here's the first bit. Um, you could just say faithful in marriage if we're trying to apply this generally. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to be married to be an elder in church, but here's a concept for all of us that if you are in a marriage, you need to be faithful in it. Um, it does say, you know, just, just one wife, which, you know, in the first century where polygamy, as in the ancient world, was pretty rife, the idea is just one wife or just one husband, so make sure of that. I think in our day, the way to apply faithfully in marriage would be to say you hold firmly to God's definition of marriage. You know, one man, one woman, committed together for life, and that you live faithful in that marriage, um, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health. And now we say those vows, I mean, these guys just said those vows like a week ago, and usually when we think in sickness and in health, we've got, yeah, when he's got a cold, I'll still be nice to him. But really, sickness, sickness is like, no, no, when he has a serious head injury and his personality changes, or he's confined to a wheelchair, or I've just got to basically look after him, when our plans for this wonderful, epic life that we dreamt about just go flying out the window, faithful in marriage committed because really that is what love is love is deciding to stay committed to this person even when the reason that first attracted to you is long gone faithful in marriage not adulterous physically or in your heart doing everything you can to make them your definition of beauty lay your life down for them love them respect them faithful in marriage um the other thing that it brings up about the home is this um, an elder must be um, blameless, faithful to his wife. A man whose children believe are not, and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. So kids that believe. Um, and the idea is here, if you're going to step up in the household of God and try to teach and lead people in the church, you need to be able to teach and lead the people in your home first. That's going to be a good piece of evidence that you're able to do it with others as well. But if there's no evidence in the home that a person's attempting to lead their home to follow the Lord, then that's probably evidence that something big is missing. Now, so, so here's the thing. It starts in the home. Husband, you know, parents, fathers and mothers attempting to bring their children up in their faith. Now, of course, when children grow to a certain age, they're going to decide for themselves whether they are actually going to continue in the belief of their parents that they've been raised in or whether they're going to break away and not hold that for themselves. And there is no way to control what your adult children choose to do with their lives. It's, it's by God's grace that they would continue in belief. Um, but, but I tell you what, from a young age, while they're under your household, that you're able to help them to see, okay, so we're a Christian household and so here's what we believe and here's how we're living together. And to do everything within your own personality and in your own power to actually be leading in the home. It's, it's a really important thing to be able to see in the home and, and someone who can actually lead the home in that way, that's going to enable you to lead in church as well. Um, when it says, here it says, um, not wild and, dis what is it, not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. I don't know one parent that doesn't read that and go, oh my goodness. Because everyone's children at times are wild and disobedient, particularly mine, you know. 
And, and so does that mean anytime my kids are wild and disobedient, I need to keep stepping down from being a pastor in this church? I don't think so. Wild and disobedient here really I think it's got the sense of like adult children that are sexually promiscuous and drunk all the time but still under the roof of the house and just running a, a muck in the household, excessive food and money, constantly enthusiastic disregard for parents' authority even though they're still hanging under the roof. It's, it's that kind of sense. And, and the other thing to remember too here is these are the list of things you want to see before you step a person up. It's not like once a person's in a position of leadership, if their kids go AWOL, oh, you've got to step down. It's not that. It's the things you want to see before you step up. Because leading adults is really similar to leading kids half the time. Because we're all banged up and we're all sinful and we're all wayward. And so practising leading little people in your house to love the Lord and sit happily under authority is a really key skill for all of us to be giving ourselves to and it's going to help us lead in church over time. You got that? Um, I, and in particular, I always want to eyeball men in this kind of setting because, you know, that's the explicit context here. Um, it, it matters how you lead in the home. It matters that you see yourselves responsible for raising little disciples of Jesus in the home. It matters that you can do it in the home so you can then step up in church and do it there as well. It is God's desire and design that you would lead in church. And it begins in the home. So don't shrink back. There's the first one, in the home. Now, I don't know if anyone's feeling depressed at this moment. I mean, all of us have come from complex, different situations. Some of us are older than others. Uh, it may have raised a whole bunch of things. Let's keep talking about it and praying about it together. Um, but there's the home. Here's now, the, the next set of instructions really are in regards to public, and I'll, I'll go a little bit faster here. Um, let's read on together. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Is that word blameless again? And, and, then, and then we get a, a list of things which are really who you are in public, I think. Um, so I want you to think about the way you drive, the way you treat elderly people, the way you are at work, the way you are in your sports, the way you treat animals, the way you are at the shops, the way you are when you're travelling. You must be blameless everywhere, anywhere, a life of integrity no matter where you go. And we get a list of what you're not to be and then we get a list of rather what to be. So here's what not to be. Um, overbearing, um, which, which is... is controlling and arrogant and manipulative, a bully, a one who crushes others and walks over people. Um, you're not to be overbearing. You're not to be quick-tempered. Someone with a really short fuse that flares up quickly, you fly off the handle and people have to tippy-toe around you. You're not to be someone who's given to drunkenness. So if you've got a problem with alcohol, um, get help. Um, a lot of people have developed a problem with alcohol throughout lockdown. If you didn't have a problem, maybe you've got a sneaking one now. Take that very seriously. Um, binge drinking often goes with brawling, which is why the next one is not violent. Um, and then it's not dishonest gain. Don't be someone who's greedy for money so that you actually do dodgy deals and cheat in a whole bunch of ways and rip others off because you're just trying to get money for yourself. So, so don't be like that. And then it says, rather be like this. I love that we get the positive and the negative, you know, not just the negative. 
Here's what, here's what we are to press into. Um, rather, he must be hospitable. Being hospitable begins by noticing people. If you're not someone who even notices people when they walk past you, and some of you are better than that, better than others at it here in church, it starts by noticing, it starts by looking, it starts by smiling, it starts by saying hello, it starts by opening yourself up to welcoming people into your life. It's not just about putting on a meal in your home. It's about the whole of the way you actually make yourself accessible to people around you, which is hard if you're not a raving extrovert, I know. And, but but it's, it's a desire for all of us to grow in hospitable, so that you can actually be generous towards others the way God is generous towards us and cares for us and is a servant towards us. Hospitable. Um, a lover of good. Do you actually really love good things or do you find yourself actually really loving bad things? What gets you most excited? Are you a lover of the good? Does it just boil up in you when good things are happening? Um, Self-control. So to be someone who's growing in your ability, growing in composure and patience and grace. Upright, meaning just and fair behaviour. Holiness, meaning it's just the whole person really. Inward purity, outward behaviour. And discipline, that you're someone who knows how to practice self-restraint in your emotions, in your passions, and in your behaviour. Now, there's a bit of overlap there between a lot of those virtues, but the idea is this kind of complete character in all different realms of life um, where you find yourself being able to be respectable and honourable with a solid reputation, the ultimate goal being so that you can lead in God's church. Now, Sam posed an interesting question when you led us in that song. When you read a list like this, you find yourself asking why. And that's the right question to ask. Like, this is, this is high bar, right? There is no other organisation on the face of the planet that expects this from its people, let alone its leaders. And here we are, aspiring to this kind of level. Why? Why? Because it's God's household. And where to reflect the character and nature of our God. And this is who he is. This whole list is just catching little glimpses of the incredible, beautiful, merciful character of our God. And we're his children. We are his hands and feet on this earth. The way people will come to get to catch a sense of who he is is through us. And so that's why it matters. That, that's what's at stake here is actually God's name, um, people's eternity, Heaps at stake in church. This is why we give ourselves to this list. And I tell you what, you don't just give, it to, you give yourself to this list in the power of your own strength. This is who we aspire to become by the strength of God's grace on us, his Holy Spirit at work in us, moving us in this way. And at, at every point where we see we're failing, don't be embarrassed, just repent. Just go, yeah, yeah, I'm a work in progress I'm in great need of God's forgiveness continually, but I trust he's going to keep working in me. And I want him to work in me. I want to grow to actually, to actually be able to lead in the home. I want to grow to be able to lead in the church because what better honour is there to be able to serve in the household of God for his name, for his reputation. And I think that's, 
That's the final bit I want to come back to again. Look at, look at um, the final instruction, verse 9. You must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught. But why? So that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. So there's a bit of a so that in all of this. It's so that you can actually teach others and lead others and encourage others like an older brother or an older sister or a mum or a dad spiritually to invest in others. And you might be hearing this kind of thinking, no, no, I'm young in the faith or I'm young in years. No matter where you're at, there will be brothers and sisters who you can lead and encourage are in need of your leadership and encourage, no matter where you're at in your walk. So trust God in that and aspire to growing to become a person who can encourage others and teach others in this the way. How about I pray and we'll wrap up. <clears throat> Father God, we, we love you and you're so gracious to us and um, you, the way you are towards us is phenomenal, your mercy and your compassion. And um, Lord, you, you call us to actually live as your household with you in us in a very particular way. It, it's daunting. There's a high bar here. But, but we see that this is because this is your household, your name is at stake and, and the eternities of people are at stake. Lord, we, we want to grow to become the church that you love um, and that you, you actually are, are, are glad to see exist because we bear your name in a helpful way. Lord, please live in us by your spirit and conform us so that we're able to. Please use us powerfully over the years and use all of your people across Coffs Coast powerfully to actually spread your gospel of grace so that your name gets, gets, the, gets the renown that it deserves. Mm. Amen. Amen.